are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. Today is Tuesday, January 26th. I'm Charlotte Peterson, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. For their support, we'd like to thank Ben Franklin Crafts, locally owned and offering products to help organize home or office, for arts and crafts, home decor, school projects, and knitting, Ben Franklin Crafts on Sutton Way, Grass Valley, and benfranklin-crafts.com. Today, following NPR headlines and regional weather, Paul Cummings, Emergency Services Program Manager for Nevada County, talks with Paul Emery about the upcoming storms and how to prepare for them. Al Stoller talks to KVMR about the nature of this week's storms and why they are called atmospheric rivers. Native Voice One brings us today's national native news. Closing out today's newscast, we have Jim Hightower with a commentary. At 6.30, we bring you Embracing the Journey. And at 7, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Before we head to NPR headlines and regional weather, we have a KVMR produced public service announcement. Thursday at noon on KVMR. It's a virtual town hall. Vaccinate Nevada County. The COVID-19 vaccine rollout is underway. Who can get the vaccine and when? How will you know when you're eligible? Is it safe? Is it mandatory? Is it free? We've invited healthcare professionals to give you accurate information about vaccine availability, the logistics behind the effort, and to answer any questions you may have. You can watch a live stream on UBANET's YouTube channel, and you can hear it live on KVMR 89.5 FM. Panelists include Nevada County Health Officer Dr. Scott Kellerman, Dr. Brian Evans, CEO of Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital, Dr. Alenia Stevens of Chapa Day, and Ryan Groover from Nevada County Health and Human Services. That's a virtual town hall meeting, Vaccinate Nevada County, Thursday at noon on KVMR. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. The Biden administration is working to purchase 200 million more COVID-19 vaccine doses. As NPR's Scott Detrow explains, the additional supplies will likely arrive over the course of the summer. President Biden says the federal government is buying 100 million additional vaccine doses from Pfizer and an additional 100 million from Moderna. If the vaccines are produced and distributed on time, the U.S. would have enough supply to vaccinate 300 million Americans by early fall. But Biden's announcement came with a warning. This will be one of the most difficult operational challenges uh, we've ever undertaken as a nation. The administration is also increasing the short-term supply of vaccines to states and territories by 1.4 million doses a week to 10 million. Biden says the federal government will now give states and territories a three-week forecast of how many new shots are coming so they can better plan distribution efforts. Scott Detrow, NPR News. The Senate's longest-serving Democrat, Vermont Senator Patrick Leahy, is hospitalized tonight. The 80-year-old Leahy taken to the hospital after saying he was not feeling well, according to one of his staffers. Senator's spokesman says Leahy was taken to the hospital out of an abundance of caution. Just hours earlier, the senator presided over the swearing-in of senators for the upcoming impeachment trial of former President Donald Trump. That trial is set to begin next month, with Leahy presiding as president pro tem of the Senate. Congressional Democrats are threatening to move ahead with the next coronavirus relief bill without the support of Senate Republicans. NPR's Windsor Johnston reports Republicans have been pushing back against the Biden administration's nearly $2 trillion proposal. 
Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says Democrats may try to pass a large part of President Biden's relief bill using a process that would bypass a Republican filibuster and could pass with a majority vote. The work must move forward, preferably with our Republican colleagues, but without them if we must. Time is of the essence to address this crisis. We're keeping all options open on the table. Many Republicans have said the proposal is too expensive. It includes another round of direct payments, extends extra-weekly unemployment benefits, and provides additional federal aid for state and local governments. Windsor Johnston, NPR News, Washington. The Senate has signed off on President Biden's choice to be his Secretary of State. Lawmakers approving Anthony Blinken's nomination, making him the third member of the Biden cabinet to win approval as the administration works to move forward on its agenda. The 58-year-old Blinken pledged to be a leading force as the administration seeks to unwind some of the Trump administration's America First policies and reframe U.S. relations with the rest of the world. After mostly flat trading session, stocks closed modestly lower the Dow down 22 points. The Nasdaq was down nine points today. This is NPR. A federal appeals court judge is upholding an order for a full environmental impact review of the Dakota Access Pipeline project. The U.S. District Judge James Bosberg had ruled last year a more extensive review needed to be conducted than one conducted by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. The appeals court ruling does not require the pipeline to stop operating or be emptied of oil. The review of the $3.8 billion, 1,100-mile-plus pipeline follows a complaint by the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. The pipeline crosses beneath the Missouri River just north of the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation. The tribe has expressed concerns about pollution in the water supply. Actress and activist Jane Fonda will be honored at the Golden Globe ceremony Thursday. The Hollywood Foreign Press Association praised her for using her platform to address social issues. NPR's Mandelito Barco has more. Jane Fonda's career spans 60 years as an actress on TV and film and as a peace activist supporting women's rights and other causes. Here she is on CNN in 2019 talking about protesting climate change. I decided to use my celebrity to try to raise the sense of urgency and I moved to Washington and I'm going to get arrested every Friday. Fonda won two Best Actress Oscars in the 1970s for the films Clute and Coming Home, and she continues to act. The 82-year-old has been a fitness guru, an author, and now the latest recipient of the Golden Globe Cecil B. DeMille Award. Mandalit del Barco, NPR News. Crude futures prices were lower, oil down 16 cents a barrel to close at 52.61 a barrel in New York. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. Now for regional weather. According to the National Weather Service, there is a winter storm warning in effect for most of our listening area, beginning at 4 p.m. today and lasting through Friday morning at 2 a.m. In addition to that, Sacramento also has a flash flood watch in effect from 4 p.m. today through 5 p.m. on Thursday, and Truckee has a blizzard warning and avalanche warnings in effect from 10 p.m. tonight to 4 a.m. on Friday. Tonight in the Grass Valley, Nevada City area, snow showers are expected, and it could be heavy at times with lows around 31. New snow accumulation of 8 to 12 inches is possible. On Wednesday, snow showers are possible before 11 a.m., then rain showers with a high on Wednesday near 37. New snow accumulations of 2 to 4 inches is possible. And Wednesday night, showers are likely with lows around 34 
with precipitation amounts between 1 to 2 inches possible. In Sacramento tonight, showers are expected and the rain could be heavy at times with lows around 41. New precipitation amounts between 3 quarters and 1 inch are possible. Showers are likely on Wednesday with highs near 50 and lows around 44 and new precipitation amounts between one-half and three-quarters of an inch are likely. In the Truckee region tonight, snow will be falling mainly after 7 p.m., with snowfall heavy at times. Some thunder is also possible. Lows will be around 20, and new snow accumulation of 9 to 13 inches is possible. Snow will continue through Wednesday, Highs will be near 31 with new snow accumulation of 7 to 11 inches and snow will continue Wednesday night with lows around 25 and new snow amounts of 10 to 16 inches is possible. And tonight in Angels Camp, rain and snow showers will begin before 10 p.m. turning to snow overnight with lows around 35. New snow accumulation of 2 to 4 inches is possible. On Wednesday, showers are expected with highs around 42. New precipitation amounts between 1 to 2 inches is possible. And showers are expected to continue Wednesday night with lows around 40. And new rainfall amounts of 1 to 2 inches is expected. I'm speaking with Paul Cummings, and he's Emergency Services Program Manager uh, for Nevada County. And, Paul, we've got some weather coming in. Uh, Yeah, good afternoon, Paul. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of – I was taking a look at the weather report, and uh, it's weather. It's serious weather coming coming in. So I thought we'd just go over some things uh, uh, that, you know, situations that can happen to people. And first of all, we have a high wind warning. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, so I'll run through the current National Weather Service uh, warnings. There's three of them. First off, uh, there is a high wind warning that's active, valid tonight through tomorrow at noon for winds out of the south from 35 to 45 miles an hour, gusting up to 60 knots. So the first off, things to consider there, it's likely going to affect our, our power grid. It's going to uh, potentially put trees into power lines which will knock out the power. Uh, and I can talk a little bit about that later, some of the specifics there. Sure. Second, uh, we've got a winter storm warning that's valid today at 4 p.m. through tomorrow, or correction, through Friday at 2 a.m. Uh, that's going to bring mountain snow 2 to 5 feet and then potential snow in the foothills from 6 to 12 inches, uh, really affecting driving conditions, causing travel delays. Uh, the National Weather Service really is discouraging travel at this time. So uh, the timeline, uh, this, I mean, just my quick glance at it, uh, the standard weather report seems that's going to go on for a few days. It is. And I think it's that cumulative effect that could be a challenge for folks and especially our, our power grid and some of the other services that are out there. So we already mentioned it'll come through Tuesday and Wednesday, and then we expect the heaviest precipitation and weather effects on Thursday. So really, our community needs to prepare for the next three days. Okay, what are some of the things that we need to prepare for? Let's start with uh, driving tips. Yeah, so a couple driving tips from um, AAA. Uh, They recommend keeping cold weather gear in your car, extra food, clothing, flashlight, glass scraper, uh, medications. Very similar to the things we tell you in the summer to keep in your go bag. 
Um, a couple other tips I'll add from Caltrans, just making sure you have enough time to get where you're going. Don't be in a rush. Consider your fuel state, especially with the conditions. You want to have a full gas tank. Um, things that you can do to maintain your windows are going to be important because that's visibility is going to be reduced and there'll be a lot of precipitation out there. Make sure you slow down for the conditions. Increase your, um, you know, scan and be more observant because there's going to be a lot happening out there. If you do get stalled, make sure you stick with your vehicle because it'll keep you warm and keep you safe. And then there's going to be a lot of equipment out there working. So snow plows uh, or, or um, vehicles scattering sand and salt. So just give them space, stay back, and then uh, pass with caution. So uh, other things, I mean, power outages, for example, is much like the situation in the fall, you know, when you have intentional power outages. But those are kind of those can be kind of predictable, but these aren't. And we don't know how long they'll be out for if a power goes out. Uh, what are some of the things you should do just to be prepared? Yeah, so um, you're right. With PSPS, it was a little more predictable. But under these circumstances, we don't know where these localized outages will happen. They could be small scale. They could be large scale. So it's important for every resident to just be prepared for anywhere from 12 to hopefully not, but up to 72 hours of power outage. So think about the things like you did, you know, during the summer and the fall for PSPS. Have a flashlight. Make sure you've got food and water on standby. Set aside warm clothes. Charge up your devices. And if the power does go out, make sure that you, you layer up to stay warm. Really just a great time to check your emergency kit. Now, also, we could have flooding. So what about sandbags? I mean, if, you know, everybody will be different on this, but some people might need them. Yeah, certainly. So um, the Nevada County Office of Emergency, Emergency Services does offer free sand and sandbags for residents of Nevada County. Uh, pickup locations, if you go to readynevadacounty.org slash dashboard, that's where a lot of our residents got um, wildfire information. We have icons listed there with locations that, that have the free sand and the free sandbags. So you can go out there on your own. You can fill up the sandbags and take what you need for your own personal use. Okay, now let's just say uh, let's just say you're st stuck in your house. Maybe you're a senior person. Electricity's off. You don't have any heat. You're not feeling very well. Well, what what about emergency services for those folks? Yeah, so I would start with uh, I would recommend residents uh, if if they if they have a situation that's exceeded their own preparations and their local network of being able to phone a friend or a family member, um, call two one one. 211 operators can provide you with information or can help um, relay uh, you or transfer you to other services who might be able to, to help you out. Now, I would say the good news is that we're getting some rain. So uh, that's uh, that's good. That is good, especially uh, with Nevada County currently being in a drought. Hopefully this will help us out and it'll uh, it'll green up green up some of our uh, vegetation for us. And yeah, because we've we've been in pretty uh, we've been in pretty seriously bad uh, situations uh, with it looks like we had a drought, and then all of a sudden we're having a big water event. So <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Well, Paul, any final uh, thoughts uh, to share with uh, uh, our listeners? Nope, nope. I, I have confidence that um, our community is going to be ready for this event, like they have for others. And um, but if but if you need help, don't be afraid to ask. That's right. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, I've been speaking with Paul Cummings. He's Emergency Services Program Manager for Nevada County.
Well, I'm talking with Al Stoller, and we're talking about the weather we're having. And Al, uh, this is being termed as an atmospheric river. Uh, what is an atmospheric river, and when were they discovered? Well, you know how when you put things together, they form patterns. Things really want to fall into place. So we find that happening in the atmosphere. We get certain patterns like tornadoes. We get bigger patterns like hurricanes. Hurricanes are tropical cyclones. Well, here in the more northerly latitudes, we get cyclones also. They're not tropical cyclones. They're extra-tropical cyclones outside the tropics. And they're still swirling, though. They're much larger. Obviously, the winds don't blow as fast as in a tropical cyclone, as in a hurricane. But it's still a pattern that we get. Normally, we get a whole bunch of those in the winter. It's not been that kind of winter, but maybe things are changing now. I sure hope so. Well, you get a tropical cyclone, then there's a winter storm coming in. And every now and then, it will hook up with moisture. It will almost suck moisture in from the tropics. And when we get that, we get an atmospheric river, a phenomenal amount of moisture coming in because the tropics really have the moisture. And it just feeds in. Sometimes it's warm, and we call that the Pineapple Express. This one has some really cold air involved, and uh, certainly not Pineapple Express, but it is an atmospheric river coming in tonight. So, Al, you say an extraordinary amount of water. Um, can you compare it to, like, say, the Mississippi River? Was that possible? No. In that case, uh, in fact, uh, some years ago, meteorologists debated, should we call this a river? But because it does have a lot of water. And, you know, when you look at the amount of water over a large area, maybe does compare to a river. Now that I think of it, I'll have to look up the numbers. But uh, they did uh, debate, you know, whether they should call it a river, but they decided, yeah, let's call it a river. The thing is that it is really relative to its length, which could be half miles long. It's very, very narrow. So it's really luck that it happens to come, flow over us and drop its rain on us. Well, the abbreviation for atmospheric river is AR. So where does the water in an AR, where does it come from, Al? It's coming up from the tropics. Earth, our planet, has a problem. The tropics get all the sunshine. and They get really, really hot. And the Earth has to get rid of that hot, that heat, has to move it somewhere else, preferably all the way over to the Arctic. And this tropical cyclone, hurricanes. They do that somewhat. But what especially does that are mid-latitude extratropical cyclones, our winter storms, literally move heat from the tropics towards the uh, poles, towards the North Pole. In the process, they're also moving all this tropical moisture. The uh, heat of the tropics, the sunshine of the tropics, evaporates water off the forests, off the ocean. It actually stays in the air, and it would just stay down there if it were not for these storms. And for us, our atmospheric river sucking that moisture out of the tropics and raining it down on us. Well, how important are these to uh, our water supply in California? They are phenomenally important. 
on average, six atmospheric rivers per winter. In other words, per year, give California more than half of its water supply, more than half. So they are very, very important. And as I say, on average, we get a half dozen of them, sometimes a few more, sometimes a few less. But this winter has been such that this is our first atmospheric river to come in. So we are dependent on ARs for our water supply. This is the first one. Let's hope it's not the last. Well, here's an off-the-wall question, Al. Do they ever happen in the summer? Not for us, because you have to have that wintertime storm. Well, as far as I know, let me say they do not happen. I know I did hear about the fact that it snowed. I know in the 1920s, and I think it snowed again in the 1960s in Nevada City, Grass Valley, I'm told. But I, that might have been a winter-type storm, and it might have been an atmospheric river. I really have no idea. So mainly they are connected with our winter storms. Well, uh, now this is um, um, about wind. Uh, we had a really big wind event just a week ago. And, again, this storm is forecast to bring another big wind event, this time with heavy rain and snow. But why such a strong wind? Where does that come from? That relates to the fact that this is not a Pineapple Express, that it's connected to such a large amount of cold air, just as these storms, these uh, extratropical cyclones, carry warm air from the tropics north toward the pole. They also carry cold air that came down from the Arctic down toward the tropics. So it's a little mixed. So the cold, the air now is so cold compared to the warm air coming in that temperature gradient causes a lot of wind. First, it causes air to move up and down very fast, especially move, move air up. And then that air turns sideways and it becomes wind. So we are, again, forecast to have a wind event. And people want, might want to take a walk outside while it's not storming yet and see if they want to tie anything down or maybe even bring some things inside if they can because that wind is... Uh, well, I really enjoyed that wind last uh, week. I have to admit, I had my window open middle of the night so I could enjoy it, and I figured, well, I'm not getting any sleep anyway, so I took my sleeping bag outside and I slept, or after it died down, I slept uh, during that wind event. And it was just like sleeping in the, in the desert where you get out of your sleeping bag in the middle of the night, you better put a heavy rock on top of it or it's going to be gone when you come back. And that's just the way it was that time. That was fun. Fixing uh, the damage afterwards has not been so much fun. And after we get off the phone, I'm going to head up on the roof and batten down some of the fixes I made just to make sure they can uh, make it to this next wind event. So, Al, is this our first uh, atmospheric uh, river for this year? For this year, it is. And I'm just uh, well, a little bit more... Uh, People are saying there's something interesting coming in next week, maybe. And uh, sure enough, they were really uncertain about it a week ago. And uh, fortunately, it came through. Well, Al, thank you so much for the information. And uh, we'll check in um, with the next big thing that comes rolling down. But button down the hatches is the word for tonight. That's definitely the word. And, uh, Paul, I know these things can be challenging, especially if, have a leaky roof or something, but at the same time, I hope 
people can enjoy it. If you don't have the clothes to get outside and get into it, at least when it's hitting your window, realize this is the earth balancing itself out, bringing that warm air and all that moisture north, sending it toward the poles. And it's really the earth doing its thing. So we are part of the earth. Let's enjoy it. Thank you, Al. I've been speaking with Al Stoller. We've been talking about the atmospheric river, which is rolling our way this evening. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. An indigenous woman has launched her campaign for mayor of Seattle. Colleen Echohawk is the executive director of the Chief Seattle Club, a native-led nonprofit serving homeless people. Her platform is community-based, focusing on people and investing in community organizations and businesses. The Pawnee Athabascan woman has lived in Seattle for more than 20 years. She spoke with local King 5 News Monday about running for office. I think this is an incredible, progressive, compassionate, generous city, and I just, I just love this place. And... Um, I know that the status quo hasn't been working for some of our folks, and I care about everyone in the city. I think this should be a city where everyone can succeed and prosper, and yet we know that some of our community is is suffering and hurting. And so I have decided that I want to jump into this um, to offer um, a new a new face, <laughs> new kind of um, way of of working in City Hall. Echo Hawk says she comes from a long line of family members in public service. Her vision for Seattle includes addressing public safety and affordable and rapid housing and says there's a lot of recovery that needs to happen in the city. The president of the Navajo Nation delivered the State of the Nation address to Navajo lawmakers Monday from Window Rock, Arizona, as the tribe moves forward in the new year with new and returning council members. COVID-19 response, recovery, and vaccine rollout has been the major focus of the tribe as leaders encourage Navajo citizens to remain vigilant in taking precautions. A number of other tribal priorities were highlighted in the address, including education, law enforcement, and infrastructure projects. Navajo Nation President Jonathan Nez discussed a housing development plan for veterans. What we're wanting to do is to create a larger facility so that we can be able to build modern-day hogans for our veterans and those that are not able to help themselves. And for those that want to purchase the homes, they can do so as well. And we also are going to introduce the sweat equity. Nez is seeking support of the project from the council. A proposal is expected soon. With two years left in office, the NEZ administration is seeking to work with the council and on local, state, and federal levels. A former Canadian gaming CEO and his wife and actress are facing charges for traveling to the Yukon breaking isolation rules to allegedly receive COVID-19 vaccines. CBC North reports Rodney and E. Katerina Baker recently traveled from Vancouver to Yukon Territory, where they chartered a private plane to go to the community of Beaver Creek. They're accused of claiming to be hotel workers to receive vaccines from a mobile team administering doses to the isolated community, which includes the White River First Nation. First Nations leaders are expressing outrage, saying the wealthy couple put the community at risk by breaking quarantine rules. 
Baker has resigned from the Great Canadian Gaming Corporation, which owns casinos and hotels across Canada. Penalties for not isolating and failing to follow declarations include fines and jail time. The First Nation is calling for harsher punishments as an investigation is underway. The couple did not comment to the CBC. Isolated communities are said to have priority for vaccinations because they're most vulnerable to COVID-19 impacts and are hours away from hospitals and lack resources. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. What does your toothbrush, a fish dinner, and your running shoes have in common? Plastic. We now live on planet Plastic. Billions of tons of waste from everyday products made of these chemical contaminants are strewn literally everywhere, on the highest mountaintops, into the deepest seabeds, in dense tropical jungles, and all across barren deserts. It's estimated, for example, that in less than 30 years, the gross volume of discarded plastic in our oceans will outnumber fish. From grocery carryout bags to shower curtains to almost invisible bits of microplastics, The vast tonnage of this trash increases every minute with an afterlife lasting centuries, wreaking havoc on ecosystems, destroying species, and infusing our water, air, soil, food, and us. Consider just two common products, your toothbrush and your sneakers. Until the 1930s, toothbrushes were made of degradable natural components. Since then, practically all have been throwaway plastic brushes. But there is no away. So nearly all of the trillions of brushes we've discarded in the past century are still out there, somewhere on the land or in our water. Moving from your teeth to your feet, consider that millions of sneakers are sold in the U.S. each year, advertised as being athletic and cool. What's uncool is that they're made almost entirely of melted and molded plastics that are practically impossible to recycle. So, after a short time in our closets, sneakers spend an eternity as globs of toxic plastic trash. This is Jim Hightower saying, We're being choked by our own synthetic waste, from billions of plastic bottles and cigarette filters to tons of straws and synthetic rubber tires. To help stop the insanity, contact Beyond Plastics, beyondplastics.org. Hightower's commentaries are brought to you by the Hightower Lowdown, the monthly newsletter with Hightower's take on what Wall Street and Washington are up to. For information, visit HightowerLowdown.org. That's our newscast for this evening. Coming up next, we bring you Embracing the Journey and at 7, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. For Emory Audio Productions and the KVMR News team, this is Charlotte Peterson wishing you a safe, warm, and fabulous evening.